Good morning, Burlington Baptist Church. I am glad to be your preacher again. Uh, I love preaching to you all. Whew, the first service like to wore me out. So, so I love preaching to you all. I was away preaching someplace, and boy, oh boy, oh boy, it was not Burlington Baptist Church, I'll tell you. Uh, so I love being here, and uh, thank you for having me again. You know, when the Catholic Church is electing a pope, the Catholic world all looks to the Vatican to the chimney. And when white smoke comes out, they, they proclaim, we have a pope. Well, I looked over at Burlington last Sunday, and white smoke was coming out of Burlington. <laughs> and I said, Burlington has a pastor. Amen. Amen. Now, I expected Kent to be on his way to Alaska today, and uh, I texted him, and I said, since you're home, why don't you go ahead and preach, and, and I'll be glad to step aside. And, and he said, well, no, no, no. He said, let's just go ahead with what's planned. You know, I, 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 re- <laughs> I really think he's putting it off as long as he can, because <laughs> he doesn't want to look like this. Yeah. So I feel kind of funny, you know, preaching in the new pastor uh, sitting here, but I'm honored. I am honored, uh, and I'll honor his wishes. I'm excited for Chris. I know well the church where Chris is going. And Chris, you're leaving a Baptist and going back to the Christian church, and you're going to learn a hard lesson, Chris. The Baptists pay better than the Christian church. (laughs) I'm just telling you. But he's going back to Lexington home, the Mecca of Kentucky. And in that beautiful city, there is this great shrine that we flock to on occasion. And it's called Rupp Arena. (laughs) So he's going home, and we're happy for him. You are beginning a new phase of ministry and a new era. And uh, what I want to do this Sunday and next is preach a couple of sermons that I hope will sort of spark a new enthusiasm, lay a new foundation, get you started in this new time of your life in the history, the long history, faithful history of Burlington Baptist Church. Troy is up in the roost, and he's going to read my text for today, so listen carefully. Troy has a voice like God. Yeah. And listen to this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it into portions to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver 
came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant, who had received two bags of silver, came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit the money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, and I give it to one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the word of God for the people of God, amen. Let's pray. Now, Father, pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today. And give each of us just the message you want us to hear, because we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Two of the most famous people in the world died in the same week. One died on August the 31st, 1997, and five days later, on September the 5th, the other one died, September the 5th, 1997. And when each of these women died... The whole world wept. There was grief and shock and tears and from the whole world. Great emotions poured out for these two women all over the world. Now the lives of these two women, Princess Diana and Mother Teresa, were glaringly different. One of them had the wealth of a kingdom at her disposal. And the other one had nothing and owned nothing except the clothes on her back. One of them worked every day, as she called it, with the poorest of the poor, picking up the dying on the streets of Calcutta, taking her into her home and picking the, 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 the wounds and washing the wounds and soothing them and holding them until they died. And the other one... She was the headliner of, at the glittering affairs of the rich and the famous. 
One of them was a celebrity, and the other was a servant. One of them, it seemed like, lived a life of personal turmoil and unhappiness. And here this little bitty drawed-up woman seemed to possess a peace that passed all understanding. And one of them spent her life serving, and the other spent her life being served by a huge administrative staff, maids and butlers and chauffeurs and chefs and cooks and hair designers and the most expensive fashion designers in the world and bodyguards. And the other one served the poorest of the poor. One of them was a princess in a worldly kingdom, and the other one was a servant in the kingdom of God. Princess Diana had, it seemed, had the world in the palm of her hands. And everything you read about her, it seemed that happiness and meaning and purpose slipped through her fingers, even though she was a princess. And I think most of us would agree that Mother Teresa's life contained meaning and purpose and personal peace and satisfaction. It seemed like that Princess Diana never found. Now, what was the reason? There are a lot of reasons. But the word that I want to focus on this morning, one of the biggest reasons was servanthood. Mother Teresa was a servant. Mother Teresa served people that the world had forgotten about. They let them die on the streets, and she picked them up and took them into her life. And she lived the humble life of a servant. Now, my subject this morning in proving your serve and servanthood is one of the least popular subjects in Christianity. And why is that? Because servanthood collides collides with our carnal nature, everything in our carnal nature. Servanthood collides against it because we are selfish people. And yet when Jesus taught leadership, he said it's not found in a title. It's found in a tile and a towel and a wash bowl. Wow. Now, isn't that foreign to our carnal nature? Have you ever said to a kid, hey, honey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Has that kid ever said, oh, I want to be a servant? No, no, no. Jesus said some radical things about servanthood. Look at this. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. For even I, the Son of Man, came came here not to be served but to serve others. Now, look at that text. You must, must be your servant. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does servanthood all about? As you begin this new phase of your history, one of the ways that it will work better is if every one of you learn how to improve your serve. Let's work it. Let me put, go into the word serve and pull out what it means. First of all, if you're going to improve your serve, settle the ownership issue. Up front, settle the ownership issue. Look at Matthew 25. And the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To the one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now, what I want you to notice in the text is his servants and his property. Folks, we are his. Everything that we have 
is his. And until you settle the ownership issue, you are going to fight servanthood tooth and nail. And the only way to settle the ownership issue is to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The whole idea behind the word Lord is ownership. Now, we don't use the word Lord in our language. That's an English word, Lord. You know, we, we watched Downton Abbey, and I would call Joyce my lady. She never did call me Lord, however. <laughs> we don't use the word Lord much, but it means boss. means boss. One of my favorite preachers was Stephen Olford, and he said, Jesus purchased us completely. There is no part of us that has not been bought outright. Christ owns our eyes to view his world. He owns our hands to serve his will. He owns our feet to walk his way. He owns our mind to think his thought. He alone owns our heart to love him fervently. He alone owns our personality to radiate his charm and glory. Failure to recognize this is a refusal to recognize his sovereignty, his lordship, his ownership. He's the boss. And the problems that we experience with servanthood are because the ownership, the lordship of Jesus Christ is not acknowledged. Look at this little poem. Is Jesus your Lord, Lord of every thought and action, Lord to sin and Lord to stay, Lord in speaking, writing, giving, Lord in all things to obey, now and evermore to be? So how do you improve your serve? You start by settling the ownership issue. And then expect to be held accountable. When you make a financial investment, what do you expect from that? You expect a return. You expect to increase. Now, God has made the supreme investment in our lives. He has saved us. And then he has gifted every one of us. Some with five, some with two, some with one. So what does he expect? He respects a return in service to him and others. Now, we're not talking about earning our salvation. No, 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 no. We're not talking about we do this to earn our salvation, earn brownie points with the Almighty. We are already saved. We do this to serve his people. And because that is exactly what he expects. Now, we need to understand there's going to be a day. There is going to be a day when we have to stand and give God a reason for the choices that we make. Now, you can be a servant or you cannot be a servant. The choice is up to you. But understand, you're going to have to stand before God and explain your choices. Look at Matthew 25. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. And then the man who had received one talent said, Master, I knew you were a hard man. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground and see here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Take the talent from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now circle there, you wicked, lazy servant. Now, when you hear the word wicked, what do you think of, huh? I think of pedophile. I think of rape. I think of ISIS. 
I think of the terrorist. I think of child abuse in any form. But what did Jesus say wickedness was here? He said, wickedness is not using what I have given you. And laziness was the reason for zero growth here and zero performance. The great preacher John MacArthur says this, the third servant put aside what God had given him and went about his own selfish business. He called himself a servant of God but demonstrated conclusively he was not. The failure of the third servant to use that which he had been entrusted by his master represents the emptiness, uselessness, and worthlessness in a life which in a life which profession of faith in Christ is proved false and meaningless by the careless waste of privilege and opportunity. Woo, that is preaching. That's good preaching. God has entrusted you with at least one spiritual gift, maybe more. Now, I know you have heard us preachers say that so long that you gag on it. But our responsibility, because we're gifted in some way, is involvement, investment, and activity. Expect to be held accountable. So, when you stand before God, how will you say, here is the gift? Here, here is the gift. I used it this way. And let me tell you, if you do not use it the way he wants you to, you will have to account to him. And in the text, God does not accept any excuses. So how do, how do, we, how do we improve our serve? Settle the ownership issue expect to be held accountable, and then relate to others as a servant. Look at Matthew 20. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. In that text, I want you to notice two words. Servant. Servant. That means voluntary service to another person. Its primary emphasis is on volunteering service, our ministry, to another. But... Circle the word slave, slave. If you've got a Bible that has notes in it, you will probably note in the margin that it says bondservant, bondservant. And here's what one scholar said about that word bondservant. This is a word intense with meaning and emotion. It means someone who is totally surrendered and subjected to another. It is menial, physical, and emotional subjection. Wow. That word slave describes permanent dependence, permanent subjection to another, slavery to another. Wow. You see why servanthood is so radical? Jesus' teaching on servanthood, folks, is some of the most radical stuff in the New Testament when you understand it. And he is saying you have to serve, and then it goes deeper than that, just like he did. Now, How did Jesus pull servanthood off? 
a lot of ways. But I, I, I want to pick out one portrait of his life and show you how he pulls servanthood off. Look at this in John 13. Jesus got up from the supper table and set aside his robe and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of his disciples, drying them with his apron. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it on, and went back to his place at the table. Then he said, Do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That's what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. Now, Jesus is not necessarily telling us to go out and wash everybody's feet in Burlington and Boone County. That's not the point. The whole point is servanthood. The point of that is not necessarily foot washing, but it, Jesus is using this menial task, which should be a servant's task. Here is the Son of God, the one that we just sang about, the I Am. Here is the Son of God with an apron on, washing the dirty feet of a disciples. He put on a serpent's, servant's apron and washed their feet. Wow. <laughs> when, you, when you go out to eat and you see a waiter coming toward your table with an apron on, what does that apron tell you? That apron tells you that that waiter is there to serve you and do what you ask him to do. And usually they will say, my name is Daniel and I'll be your server. There's this one guy, he was at his table waiting on his steak and when the waiter came, he noticed that the waiter had his thumb stuck down in his steak. And the fellow said, excuse me, excuse me, why do you have your thumb stuck down in my steak? And the waiter said, so I won't drop it again. (laughs) When a waiter approaches your table with an apron on, he is there to serve you. She is there to serve you and to see what you need. See, a servant wears an apron And serves. Jesus says, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. Servanthood. Now, let me warn you. Let me warn you. When you reach for the apron and the washpan of servanthood, one of the biggest battles in your life is going to start. Because your carnal, selfish nature is going to fight everything. It's going to fight the apron-wearing servant attitude with all the arsenal that hell can throw at us because we are basically selfish people. Every now and then somebody used to say to me, well, LD, I want to join your church because I want to be fed. Well, I didn't know how to answer that. And I was old now. And I don't really care about being politically correct. And in the end, I found a great answer. I would say to them, well, that's fine. But we would all be better off if you took off your bib and put on an apron. Amen. Amen. I learned a deep theological principle about servanthood from that great Western theologian, Louis L'Amour. Now, people, I get my sermon material where I can. And Kent's going to learn to do that, too. 
He's going to get it where he can. And, and Chad knows all about getting it where, where he can. Anybody preaches, we get it where we can. But I learned a great principle about servanthood from Louis L'Amour. Now, we know stagecoach was the way that they traveled in the old West. But did you, did you know that on a stagecoach, there were three different classes of tickets on a stagecoach? There was the first class ticket, second class ticket, third class ticket. Now, the first class ticket holders could remain seated in the stage at all times, never had to get out, to stay seated all the time. Something happened, they stay seated. If the stagecoach got stuck, they stayed seated. If an axle broke, they stayed seated. First class ticket holders stayed seated in the stagecoach at all times. Second class ticket holders could remain in the stagecoach until something happened, and then they had to get off. But they could go over and stand in the shade and watch other people fix the problem. And then when it's fixed, they reboarded the stage. And then the third class ticket holders could sit in the stage until there was a problem. And when there was a problem, they got off and they had to help fix the problem. If the stagecoach got stuck in the mud, the third class ticket holders helped it get out. If the stagecoach had to be pushed up a hill, the third-class ticket holders helped to push it up the hill. If a wheel broke, the third-class ticket holders had to be human jacks and hold up that stage while the first-class ticket holders were in seated and put on a wheel. And then when it was all fixed, they could go back on the stage. Now, when I read that, I thought, man, that will preach. That'll preach. There's a sermon in there somewhere. And let me reach in and pull it out. And I'm going to tell you right now at the beginning, right here, right here. I'm going to get in your knickers. You don't pay my salary. I'm going to leave after this is over. I'm coming back next Sunday. (laughs) But I'm going to get in your knickers. Because somebody needs to say this in our churches today. This is exactly how a lot of people relate to the church. Now, I'm not being mean, but there are some people who think they have a first-class ticket in the church. And let's call them sit-in saints, sit-in saints. They just sit there, expected to be served and waited on and catered to. to and, you know, sit-in saints usually wear a bib instead of an apron. Second-class ticket holders are in the church. Let's call them spectator saints. And the call to serve comes out from the church, and what do the spectator saints do? They sit on the sidelines, and they observe everybody working. And I want to tell you, usually the second-class ticket holders are the ones who gripe the most. Well, why are they doing it that way? I wouldn't do it that way. You know, You may want to not ask me back next week, Kent. (laughs) But then, there are the third-class ticket holders in the church. (laughs) Let's call them serving saints. You know what they do? They get out, and they push, and they serve, and they give their time. They clean the kitchen. 
when the youth group didn't. <clears throat> they teach middle school boys. I was invited to speak at a banquet in Bethel, Ohio. They were honoring a lady at that banquet who had taught middle school boys for 40 years. I was not worthy to be in the room with her. I want to tell you, when you get to heaven, you're going to see her sitting on the thrones with the apostles and the prophets. Because middle school boys are pre-human. We all know that. And she taught them for 40 years. Serving saints, they go on all-nighters with the teenagers, and God bless them. Serving saints still serve in the nursery, even though their kids are grown. Stir out the kids, but still they serve in the nursery and change diapers. Serving saints are generous with their time, with their money, with their encouragement. Serving saints will do whatever it takes to serve the Lord through the ministry of Burling Baptist Church. Now the question is this morning, what kind of ticket are you holding? Are you a sit-in saint around here? Are you a spectator saint who stands over on the side? Are you a serving saint? A third-class ticket holder relates to others and the Lord as servant. All right, you need to wiggle around a little bit. That was pretty harsh. And take a breath, and let's do a little review. All right, look at the screen. How do we improve our serve? Settle the ownership issue. Jesus is Lord. Expect to be held accountable. Then relate. Relate to others around here as a serving saint, third-class ticket holder. And then value your gifts. Value your gifts. Now, we have been taught all of our lives, and our forefathers started it, that we're all created equal. That is a lie. <laughs> I, I, look, I look out this morning, and some of you are absolutely beautiful. And the rest of us fell out of the ugly tree and hit every limb. It's just the truth. We're not equal. There are some of you that could look at a massive project and have it organized just like that. Your Faye Wainscott was my administrative assistant for years and years. She was an incredible, she's an incredible woman. Faye could take a great big project and bam, have it organized just like that. And there are others who cannot organize a two-car parade. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. We are created equal in our worth as human beings and in our value to God. But the Bible does not teach folks that we are equal in our gifts and our opportunities and our abilities. The Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus didn't say that. Look what he said. To the one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent. Each according to what? His, what's the word? Ability. Ability. The master knew his servants. He trusted them with the responsibility that they could 
handle. He knew the five-talent man could handle it. He knew the two-talent man could handle it. And he knew the one-talent man could handle it. So the five-talent man took his talents and acted responsibly. The two-talent man took his talents and he acted responsibly. And the one-talent man, he said, oh, I didn't get a five-talent and I didn't get a two-talent and boy, this guy's really tough and he's going to come back and, and oh, 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 boo, boo, oh, nobody loves me. Let me tell you something. It took me a long time to learn this. Value your gift. Don't be envious of somebody else's gifts. Make the most of what God gave you. It took me a long time to learn. It's okay to be yourself and use the gift that God has given you. When I graduated from Johnson University, Johnson Bible College then, folks, I tried to preach like all the men who taught me. I tried to preach like Billy Graham. I wanted to say literature like Billy Graham does it. <laughs> we'll send you some literature. And if you're in the balcony, the buses will wait for you. I wanted to do that. I would listen to Stephen Olford preach. He was English. And I wanted to roll my R's like Stephen Olford. Folks, you had one of the greatest preachers in the world in W.A. Criswell, the Baptist guy from First Baptist in Dallas, Texas. That man, if you did... You, you ought to get online and listen to that man preach. That man could shut the corn. And I wanted to preach with the power of W.A. Crystal. And then I wanted to preach with the sweetness of Chuck Swindoll. Folks, I look like the beast in the book of Daniel. <laughs> I was a mess. I was struggling. I was in trouble. And I got the best advice about preaching from Joyce, my wife. Now, let me just stop and say here. Thank God for the preacher's wives. Amen? There ought to be a shrine somewhere. There ought to be a temple somewhere. There ought to be a monument somewhere dedicated to preacher's wives. They not only have to put up with your stuff, they have to put up with the preacher's stuff as well. And then they have to stand politely and smile and act like they're happy all the time. <laughs> so God bless you, Diane, wherever you are. But Joyce said to me, why don't you just be yourself? Who? That just scared me to death. Be myself? Nobody would like me if, if I act like myself. But I learned from her that it was okay to value the gifts, strange as they are, that God gave me. Value the serving gift that God has given you. If it's five, value it. If it's two, value it. And if it's one, everybody gets one, value it. See, we can't be equal in our production, but we can be equal in our effort. And our purpose is to say, Lord, <laughs> This is the gift you get. You gave me five. Here's what I did with it. You gave me two. This is what I did with it. You gave me one. And this is what I did with it. Value your gifts. All right. How do we settle? How do we improve our serve? Are you with me? Settle the ownership issue. That's where it begins. Expect to be held accountable. Relate to others as a servant. And value the gift that God has given you. 
Now, the E in serve, aren't you glad I'm not doing servanthood? <laughs> the E in serve is experience the joy. Experience the joy. Matthew 25 says, The greatest, the servant who was given five talents of gold brought five more back to the master and said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, so I used your five bags to earn five more. And the master said, You did well. You're a good and loyal servant. Because you were loyal with the small things, I will let you care for many much greater things. And you get this? Come and share my master. Come and share my joy with me. And the two-bag fellow comes up, and he gives his two bags, and he produced two more. And look at what he said. He got the same thing. Come and share my joy with me. Experience the joy of serving people. When I was a student at Johnson University, we had chapel five nights a week. You had to wear a coat and tie. I loved it. To me, it was the best part of the day. Singing was absolutely awesome. But we sang a song in chapel that I hated. I just really hated it. It did not resonate with me at the time. Now, you ancient ones will remember the words. There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus, joy that throbs within my heart every moment, every hour. As I draw up on his power, there is joy, joy, joy that never shall depart. I didn't like that song at all. And I'll tell you, joy wasn't resonating in my heart very much every moment, every hour. I will tell you, the academics at Johnson University were tough. They called it the Harvard of the Bible colleges. It was tough. I was working for my education, 40 cents an hour. I had a weekend church that I had to prepare for. Joyce and I were the assistant house parents. We lived in a, in a, in a, in a children's home with 23 kids at the time and helped raise those kids. Joyce was teaching kindergarten. I don't tell you, there wasn't a lot of room for joy. Wasn't a lot of room for joy. And I have to confess to you, in my ministry, I, I haven't had joy every moment, every hour. Shoot one deacon's meeting, will take care of that for a long, long time. <laughs> Get ready, Kent. How about you? There have been some painful times that smothered the joy. And then when I quit being a baby pastor and started growing up and being an adult pastor, I enjoyed that old chapel song. And I got to love that old chapel song. There is joy in serving Jesus. And the way, <laughs> the way many of us serve Jesus, you think we worked at the night shift at the morgue the way that we serve Jesus. Chad worked with us. How many years, Chad? Three or four Four years. I won't tell you. We had fun, didn't we, Chad? We had joy. One of the sounds, when I would hire people, I'd say one of the sounds that you're going to hear in our halls a lot is laughter. We, we, we enjoyed serving Jesus. And, 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 uh, and all of us, we didn't take ourselves too seriously. Now, what we did was very serious. Don't get me wrong. But we did not take ourselves serious. You know, we were flawed creatures, but we had 
joy in serving. That's one of the things that I missed the most when I left First Church was that joy with those men and women serving Jesus. Warren Wearsby has written a beautiful little book called On Being a Servant. And Dr. Wearsby says this, no matter what kind of Christian service God has called you to, it's a privilege to be in, the, in ministry, no matter what it is, and to serve Jesus Christ. In some ways, it's the hardest work in the world. But in many ways, it's the happiest work in the world. Yes, it has its tears and trials, but it also has its joys and triumphs, and the best is yet to come. Experience the joy of serving. All right, let's do a little review. I think if you start working on servanthood in this new, in this new time of ministry, it'll make it better. Improve your serve. Start right now. Start today. Settle the ownership issue. Jesus is my Lord. Lord, boss, expect to be held accountable. Expect to be held accountable for what he's given you. Relate to each other around here as a servant, an apron-wearing servant, and then value the gifts that you have. There are people in this church, five talent people, but you value the gift that God has given you. And when you do all that, you will experience the joy of serving. Burlington Baptist Church, you have not been called to be a sit-in saint. You have not been called to be a spectator saint. You have been called to be a servant-wearing servant in this place. A servant saint who wears an apron. My challenge to you is this. In this new phase of ministry, Will you put on a servant's apron? Will you have a servant's attitude? My name is Christian, and I'll be your server. Pray with me. Father, wake us up to the servanthood of Jesus and give us his passion for serving. May our needs drive us to you, and may the needs of others drive us to them. For then and only then, we will have discovered the joy of being your towel-wearing servants. We pray in the name of Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.